Hi, my name is Olga Johansson. I'm Russian. Half of my life I lived in Russia and another half in the Nordics. First in Iceland and now in Denmark. I'm raising three Icelandic Russian children in Copenhagen, probably as Danes. Now I call myself a documentarist, a human rights activist, and right now, a journalist. And I'm Andreas Floystrup, born and raised here in Denmark. I'm a journalist and have previously worked for the public service station DR, but right now I'm working at Lead Agency in Copenhagen, where I'm producing the Nordic Talks podcast. I followed the war in Ukraine closely, and what I've been thinking a lot about is how it affects the relations between ordinary people from Russia and Ukraine, and how we in the Nordics can help create and maybe further dialogue and hopefully peace. Where are we now, a year from the beginning of the war? Can we create dialogue between people to people while fighting for Ukraine and European democracy? What role do Nordic values and society play in facilitating the process of creating peace in Europe? This is the third and last episode of the Ukrainian special, and we talk about the future. In the studio with us today, we have Oksana Nikitiuk from Kyiv office of Ukrainian Danish Youth House and Katya Burdukovskaya, a Russian youth activist in Denmark. Welcome. Oksana, can you take us back to the 24th of February 2022? How did you learn the news that Russia attacked Ukraine? Uh, on February 24th, at 5 a.m., it was uh, a big explosion heard in my area. And usually the first source you're checking is something that you misheard or something has happened straight to Facebook. And then on Facebook newsfeed, everyone started to say, okay, now it started. Um, yeah, because explosions were heard in all entire Ukraine, also in different areas of the city. And then you have like those three minutes, which uh, felt which felt very long when you said, okay, what am I supposed to do? If this moment you kind of were preparing for, but when it comes to, um, yeah, to a real situation, you're trying to self-organize yourself and everything that you were thinking that wouldn't ever happen because it's like literally not possible, they are there. <laughs> so, you know, like um, back in the childhood, I think everyone was uh, questioning or imagining himself uh, or herself uh, what kind of item you would take for a desert island. <laughs> it was a best friend, it was a knife or favorite TV series, bar of chocolate. So it was uh, kind of the, the question that I asked myself, okay, what do I need? What will I need if I will never get back to my apartment? And um, uh, you, you take your time. That's not mm-hmm. uh, that's not easy. The, um, people cry here. I, I did last time. <laughs> no, it just again today missile strike. So mm-hmm. not the best day. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to go back to the the stuff you talked about about the things you want to to bring. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what did you end up bringing? Yeah, so that was a question when I said, okay, I need my passport to identify myself, uh, my documents from the university, my piano sheets, which I love because it was everything in in, um, in one folder, my little jewelry box and a pair of underwear. <laughs> That's it. So, of course, it's like the card, like little wallet. It's, uh, of course, it's obvious, but it was like only documents to of my qualifications and uh, yeah my identity card when was the time when you made your decision to leave when you when you decided that now you have to leave now you have to go after i packed and everything i figured out what what will i need with myself so with my brothers who live in kiev when he studies in the university and older one uh, he lives um, nearby Kiev city it's 12 kilometers away so we agreed uh, a week or two in advance that what if Right, and we had uh, in our family chat uh, this thing. Okay, where do we meet in case of something? So when we finally met in his house, uh, and all the friends who came, there were like fifteen of us. We were thinking, okay, very uh, rationally, what we do? Where do we have to hide? What do we have a background? How deep it is? My brother has a pool, and it's but it's only like below maybe a meter down. So we were thinking, okay, for the worst scenario, is it possible that we can hide altogether? It took like us half a day to consider how many of us can fit into the cars, how many cars do we have, what are the routes, where anyone can go, where are their relatives in different parts of Ukraine, because different, different regions. So we were thinking how much petrol we have, what is um, the fastest way, because of course, uh, everyone takes the same autobahn from the Kyiv city. So it took us 16 hours to drive from Kyiv to Ternopil specifically, and on the way, leaving friends in different uh, villages and cities of their own relatives. How did you end up in Denmark? Uh, so in Denmark, it took me around three weeks because it was not my uh, primary wish to ever decide uh, to go because everyone was occupied with volunteering, with uh, helping, with registering requests, finding the accommodation and everything. But uh, then like mid-March last year, um, my brother, he told me that, Oksana, don't be silly. You are a monk in our question, the only one who knows uh, English. And we need uh, to have one door open in case of something. You will, what will happen if... uh, yeah, you will need to take care of my son. So those were the words when I decided, okay, I should, kind of. Yeah. Did you leave any family behind in Ukraine? You spoke about your brothers. Uh, yeah, everyone is in Ukraine. Everyone. Are you still in contact with everybody? Yeah, absolutely. And with all my friends in um, in different cities, because I lived in different parts of Ukraine for the in my during my professional life. Katya, uh, you moved to Denmark four years ago with your mother. Um, how do you remember 24th of February? I was in school that day, and um, yeah, I was just living my life here in Denmark, safe and careless. To be honest, I did not actually know about the invasion until later during the day. I went on my phone, and I started reading and saw all the news, all the images of the explosions and people hiding in the metro and all these terrible things. 
And when I saw that, I just, I just, I didn't know what to feel. I, I was just so shocked. And as a Russian, it felt that I had to do something, but I didn't know what because it was out of my control. When I came back home, um, my my mom and stepdad were watching TV, and I saw Putin's face on the TV, and I just, I, I had this feeling of just this not being real, like how absurd it was. And was it tough for you? As a Russian, being in school, the following days after the invasion. To be honest, no, it wasn't tough. Um, <laughs> I mean, everybody was very understanding. It's not like people were blaming me for anything or having any prejudice towards me because I'm Russian. No, it's it wasn't like that. Uh, people were treating me with support. People were understanding, you know. Um, but I feel something called survivor's guilt when you're you, when you're safe but you know that other people are suffering and you feel you feel guilt for for, for that what would you say your biggest loss has been i guess my biggest loss was the fact that i could no longer be proud to be who i am and uh You know what people would ask me, or where you're from. I would always feel, you know, shame and guilt for saying that I'm I'm Russian, even though rationally I do understand that it's not my fault, and I couldn't really have done anything. Even though I, I do try to do things, but it's obviously not enough to stop the war. Also, the fact that I express my position publicly uh, also means that. I will not be able to go back to Russia and see my my family again, most likely, until Putin's regime is um, over. Oksana, what is your biggest loss inflicted by the war? Security. Because you never can be certain again in some things, except of your values that you stand for. It's the only thing um, which which belongs to me and cannot be taken away. This one is the biggest. And second one is um, part of family also, which uh, which remained um, in Moscow. Uh, your Ukrainian family in Moscow? Yeah, my yeah my family, to my cousins, my uh, um, aunt, and my, the sister of my mom. So our childhood, everything, they used to come to visit us after like 15 years back, they moved to Russia and um, yeah, they settled out there. And it's just uh, insane to imagine how in 15 years uh, people could change that much. They support the war. Of course, they support the war. They support the war. And even now, the brother of the husband of uh, my aunt, who is originally also from Western Ukraine, he belongs to Russian army and his brother got under Bakhmut very heavily wounded the past week. So, yeah, it's just like family apart and everything. So, yeah. You have been living here in Denmark for almost a year right now. Do you feel lonely? Mm, I would say probably more lonely than, than not. Because even being 
with so many beautiful and uh, helpful and welcomed people, I realized that here no one could ever understand what the person coming from war can can witness or coming through. This can understand only Ukrainian. So I would consider if uh, I would be in Ukraine, there are 40 millions lonely hearts at the same time, but united. So because everyone has some kind of loss, so I'm lonely, but I'm united to Ukrainians. You work with uh, Ukrainian youth and you have uh, recently been to Kyiv. Can you tell us about the Ukrainian youth? How do they live there? Yes, we. it was a beautiful occasion. So no matter the circumstances for us to open finally the house, a Ukrainian-Danish youth house, which functions and um, is located in the very heart of the city, of Cape City. Um, we didn't talk about the war um, because everyone is, of course, hit by it. But it was something with a different focus, with a different angle. And uh, we could gather and think and share the the thoughts on democracy, on the power of individuals, the power of youth. And uh, among those people who came to greet us, um, it was important to realize that there is something and the place that despite the war can bring some hope and happiness. But how in general the life is um, it's a very very different different vibe in the city because there is uh, less less of traffic or the places which I remembered uh, back in a year were opened were functioning now yeah it's kind of paused but at the same time the youth specifically now doesn't postpone the plans for life it's everyone has unwritten rule or now or or never or there is no better times than now and all the things which actually they do okay if we were thinking about this let's do it now let's do it together so it's uh, it's a drive for life they no matter of the devastations around they manage to unite and to create the beauty for for a joint great cause yeah, yeah. Katja, are you doing anything to try and change things in regard to the war while you're living here in Denmark? Well, I am trying at least. Of course, what I can do from Denmark is limited, but I'm trying to um, support my Ukrainian friends and acquaintances. And I try to share information about the war on social media and I also take part in the uh, rallies here in Denmark to show support for Ukraine and um, I also took part in an organization here in Denmark um, an organization of democracy oriented Russians in Denmark who opposed the war and we wanted to unite and work together to help Ukraine and promote democracy in Russia and share information about the war in Ukraine and counter uh, Putin's propaganda. But do you think Russians do enough 
here in Denmark to support Ukraine? No, I don't think anyone does enough. Uh, speaking for the Russians, it's really difficult for us to unite truly because right now R- Russians are, are a very polarized society, both in Russia and abroad. Uh, we have um, things that we disagree on in our community, right? So like in Denmark, there are Russians who actually in favor of the war. Of course, they're a minority, but they are there. So it can be difficult to work against that, to counter that misinformation and propaganda that is actually present in Denmark. We just have to try, despite all this, to unite and help Ukraine, right? And also those Russians who oppose the war. Do you still have friends in Russia? Yes, I do have friends in Russia who actually got affected by the war, obviously, and who tried to flee the country as well. My best friend tried to escape to Kazakhstan because um, her boyfriend was scared of mobilization and wanted to escape it. And so they had to flee to Kazakhstan. So, yeah, I ha- I still have friends in Russia who are also suffering and who, who feel like they're living in a in a madhouse, in a crazy world where everybody is brainwashed. Has the war affected your relationships with some of them? Definitely the war has affected uh, my relationship with some of my friends because some of my friends do not believe in the fact that Russians are killing innocent civilians and all of the things that we see happening in Ukraine. Some of my friends didn't believe that and uh, ridiculed me for trying to speak up about the the war. So yeah, but you know what? It's a good thing because it made me realize what kind of people I truly connected with and what kind of people I needed to uh, leave out from my life. And your family? Well, it's a bit difficult with my family because um, most of my family in Russia uh, believe Russian propaganda. So my dad and my grandmother, my aunt, they believe what's being told on the TV, right? And even though I try to have a dialogue with them, I try to convince them otherwise, and I try to provide information, it's still hard for them to to start thinking in a completely different way, to to have that sort of paradigm shift in their brain when they've been conditioned to believe what they believe for so many years. So it's difficult to have a conversation with them because, you know, growing up in Russia, you don't really get any, like, valuable information. And in school, you're not encouraged to think critically. So I understand why a lot of people in Russia believe the propaganda and believe that that's the way it is. And I was just lucky to have a mother who had a better understanding of how Russia truly was and how the regime truly worked. So maybe if I didn't grow up in my family... Maybe if I wasn't born to my mother, maybe I wouldn't even be here. Maybe I wouldn't even uh, be opposing the war. Maybe I would be brainwashed just like some of my friends are. Yeah. Oksana, what do you miss most from before the war? 
the fact how I was truly enjoying my life. I felt confident that I am who I am. I do the things which I love with 100% of devotion. And um, yeah, it's it was just time to, to admire life, you know, and not willing for more because you're satisfied with what you have. Do you think you'll ever get it back? Back, no. Different, yes. Uh, more fulfilled, even, with way deeper senses. Who am I? What can I do for the world, even? It gave a chance to me, as Ukrainian, find out who are we in terms of our identity and um, probably the way how can I love someone and and Ukraine, my country and uh, my nation. I could never imagine that it can be that strong as it's as it's out of now. And uh, Katya, what do you miss most? Being able to, I don't know, just not be afraid to talk with uh, Ukrainians. And uh, I miss the feeling of unity that we used to have here in Denmark, where, you know, compared to Danish people, Ukrainians and Russians are so much similar. And we found that connection But these days, of course, it's gone because of all the things that have happened. Do you think that connection will ever come back? Well, not not in the same way. No, I don't think so. I mean, you can't forget what has happened and what's happening. It will always be there. But I'm sure that once the war is over and once Russia actually atones for its sins, repays Ukraine, and turns democratic, maybe then we would be able to have that sense of community with Ukrainians. Oksana, um, do you think that you will ever go back to Ukraine and live? Yes, of course. Yes. When? Hopefully in a few months. Um, because, yeah, the things are like, who if not us, who if not us young Ukrainians can bring back Everything that the country will need with rebuilding it. It's more about how more efficient I can be, whether now in Ukraine or being abroad and do things twice more than I could being in Ukraine. You know, so it's about the personal, personal performance. So, yeah, whenever it will be, let's say, safe enough. Katya. Can you see yourself moving back to Russia one day and living there? Yes, I can definitely see myself uh, going back to Russia because I care about my homeland. I care about my country. And I want change to happen in Russia. I want Russia to become democratic. And I realize that if I stay in Denmark, this change will never be possible. How positive are you for the future? Well, I... I am positive for the future and I believe that Russia can become democratic. But of course, at the same time, I realize that it's not realistic to think that Russia will become democratic in the nearest future. I don't think that 
And I don't think that the change will come from the people because people are just too scared and would just much rather escape to safety than confront the criminal regime and face uh, years in prison. Oksana, um, do you think that such dialogue as we're having today uh, is necessary for your countries and the future? Or is it, at this point in time, excessive to have? Um, For me, it's extremely important to know that there are individuals who are trying to do something. Because, you know, it was an absolutely different attitude in the beginning of war. By the country of origin, I would judge, because my hate was bottom line. Now, like, hearing the stories... I would love to say to Katya that you have to keep doing, no matter the price. We're paying the worst price for it with our lives. So we would be grateful if you, no matter if you fail first time, second time, you just keep doing for it. Of course, it will take time, a lot of internal resources, but you're doing it for, yeah, for humanity. You of know. course, of course, I agree with that. And I do try, do my best to help in any way I can and to spread the information, to spread awareness, to urge people to support Ukraine. And I do, I I agree with you, it's extremely important. And with small steps, we can actually do a lot and we we can change a lot if we just try. The headline of the Nordic Talks podcast is Act to Inspire, Inspire to Act. This is an especially important question when we talk to you today, because you are our future. What would you say the listener can do to further peace in Ukraine? And most importantly, that the wars do not happen again. We start with Katya, and then uh, I will ask Oksana. Well, I think what Oksana has said is um, a very important message here. You have to believe that you can bring change. You have to believe that your actions can actually do something and can actually save people. Of course, everybody is living their own lives. Of course, everybody prioritizes what what happens in their own lives and it's natural. But it is also important to help other people and to get out of your shell and and support others because... A lot of people are moving on with their lives and forgetting about Ukraine and what's happening because especially people who don't have a direct connection with what's happening in Ukraine. So it's just important to keep in mind what's happening and uh, keep doing whatever is in your capacity to bring change, to bring positive change. It's also great to talk to other people, to have dialogue, because um, you never know what you might find out. Oksana? Um, I will probably say in your daily life to question yourself, what have you done for this? If you are skilled for something, try to convert it for a good cause. It can be... I don't know, support with uh, with documents, with uh, some, I don't know, kids care, with uh, educating on something by also, I don't know, being present. You can convert your time 
for a good cause also, to be present on the demonstrations or to start initiating something. Uh, next one is um, to work with the experts abroad who are living in relatively safe conditions. They can distribute a proper and transparent information, yes, to work against the misinformation through communication with their relatives. They can deliver the messages of how actually uh, yeah, the war is uh, unfolding because only those people actually can tell and share the truth through the power of personal stories and, uh, and everything. Thank you so much for stopping by today, Oksana and uh, Katja and participating in this episode. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, both for being brave, strong, and uh, speaking here with us about the youth, your hopes, and our future. Thank you. Thank you for inviting. This has been the third and last episode of a special edition of Nordic Talks podcast about peace, trust, and people in relation to the Russian-Ukrainian war. You can listen to the previous two on nordictalks.com. I'm Olga Johansson. And I'm Andreas Floystrup. Thank you for listening. <laughs>